By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you're treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. Any views or opinions expressed in this podcast is our own and not representative of anybody's or organization. This topic is triggering, so please be aware of that. Nafisa, it's time for our podcast. Can you hurry up? Taz, I'm coming. Jude has the Hoover on. You can't stay with me. You have to go to bed now. Good night, Good night, Good night baby. Good night, children. Let's play Lego. Sorry? Five minutes. Come on, let's go. You can't stay with me. Yalla. You need to stop playing. I'm Nafisa. And I'm Tasneen. Grab a cup of tea or coffee and some snacks and join us for a chat after hours. Just two Muslim mums kicking back, having fun. And talking about life, relationships, family, motherhood and more. Welcome to the madness that is our lives. Nadia Vazir is a 49-year-old single mum of four kids, aged between 15 to 21. In March 2016, Nadia was diagnosed with stage 2 breast cancer on her left breast. A year later, the cancer had spread to the rest of the body. Unfortunately, the cancer is now terminal and there's no cure. In Nadia's own words, she's just buying time. Nadia's been an advocate for breast cancer awareness since diagnosis. She's been interviewed by all genres of media, local to her where she's based in South Africa, as well as internationally. She also has a Facebook breast cancer awareness page and she founded a private breast cancer support group where she helps women and their loved ones through their emotional, mental and physical aspects of the journey. One in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer. It's indiscriminate to age, gender, nationality, and you don't need a genetic predisposition to get breast cancer. Please note, we'll include all relevant support links and details on our website page for this episode. So for now, let's welcome Nadia to the show. Firstly, Nadia, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show today and to talk about your experience. We're really, really honoured and privileged to have you here with us. So we first met on a Facebook group, the three of us are on, called Keto Muslimers. Up until the moment you shared your story, I just assumed you were just a regular keto mom, you know, trying to lose a bit of weight and coming up with some new recipes. But when you shared that you were battling cancer and that it was terminal, we were completely awestruck. I mean, you always come across as really vibrant, positive and just really happy all the time. Um, can I ask you, how do you manage to stay so positive in the face of such adversity? Uh, it's the same. It's absolutely wonderful to be speaking to you ladies today. First of all, um, I'm not always happy. Just get that straight. I'm not always happy. Cancer is a journey, right? So we get our good days and we get our bad days. However, I am a single mom of four children and I call them children, but they're really young adults now. So they range from 15 to 21 years old. We just try to win each day for a day and then we go on to the next day. And by winning each day, for me, winning means taking the little steps, waking up in the morning, getting into the shower, eating well, trying to exercise, communication with the kids. For me, that's winning the day. Yeah, so I suppose that probably does radiate a positive attitude, but by no means am I positive 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Gosh, I mean, still, even though you managed to get through all of this, it's just you know absolutely amazing to me. So obviously you've been battling cancer for a few years now. How have you changed as a person throughout that journey? How were you when you first diagnosed compared to how you are today? Right, so I'm going to give you like a little brief history that goes beyond the bio that you probably have given about me. So I was diagnosed in March 2016. So that's more or less four years and eight months into this journey. To be absolutely honest, I was a really different person. I was absolutely vivacious, absolutely vibrant. You would not catch me sitting on the sofa for five minutes of a day. I was a go-getter. I am divorced. So single mom, a few years ago, for financial reasons, I had to go out to work. So I was working six days a week, coming home and still doing my thing as a mom. Suddenly, without any warning, with no symptoms, 
things, no genetic predisposition. I just actually decided to go to the gynecologist and she said to me, Nadia, have you ever done a mammogram? And I looked at her and I said, no, I actually have not. And she said, okay, let's just book an appointment for you. And off I went, Mary, on my way, I remember sitting in the offices now of the mammogram department and not thinking anything, thinking, okay, I'm back at work tomorrow, lying down in the bed, looking at this woman's eyes, and I saw something flicker in her eyes. I looked at her and she said, we need to do this, this spot again. And immediately I felt this cold chill going down my soul, I think it was. And um, she did whatever she needed to, to do. And she said, please come and sit down in my office. And I remember this so clearly. She asked my assistant to please get me a cup of tea. And um, she said, you know, there is a lump and 95% malignancy without even doing a biopsy from how the lump is presenting itself on the mammogram scan in terms of appearance, size, and positioning. We are 95% confirmed malignancy. And it was almost as if I was watching a movie of somebody else. I was not expecting this. I knew I had to come home and cook and have dinner for my kids, get back to work the next day. I got into my car and drove home in a numb-like state. And the minute I got home, I just called a meeting with my kids and broke down and said, this is what they found and we're going to have to gather together as a team and get through this. And um, my life changed on that day. Completely, completely. Cancer is a journey. It affects a person on every level from a mental state of mind to an emotional state of mind. It affects the body physically. It debilitates the body. It's a journey. You get into complete dark spaces and you got to find the strength in your veins to pull yourself out to face the next day. And what has been my savior is that I fall back on a very strong mindset and that has kept me going in addition to my being completely open with my community and on a larger scale, my social media community about my diagnosis, taking it out to people, creating the awareness, encouraging women to go for mammograms. That has been my catharsis, to be absolutely honest with you, in a nutshell. Nadia, just listening to you, I have to be honest, my heart is in pain. I can feel that fear. I know that shiver that went to your soul. And I'm sitting here feeling like it's happening to all of us. As mothers, we all have this fear. We live with it. We can just imagine what you've been going through. And as I've told you already, my mum was yes. diagnosed with breast cancer at very early age and she actually passed away from liver cancer as it had spread so I do live with that kind of fear as well and as does my family members and everybody else it's really hard and emotional when you said that you came home and you hugged your children and you told them what what was happening to you how old were they and how did they cope with that information so honestly and openly the way you spoke to them so I also think it depends on how I raise my kids right so I think I've always 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 communicated with my four kids almost on an adult-like manner. If my youngest is 15 and mine is five, my youngest was 10 and my oldest was probably 16. I gave them facts, right? It wasn't emotional. I had to explain exactly what was happening in my body, what treatment I was having to actually undertake, how the treatment was going to affect me. In all honesty, the side effects of chemotherapy is horrendous on the body, more so than the actual cancer. Sometimes people actually quit chemotherapy because they can't take the hammering on the body and they can't take the fact that they cannot continue as functioning human beings within the symbiosis of a family or within the symbiosis of a working environment. And many people just quit chemotherapy right there and then, and then that would allow the disease to actually just eat away at their bodies. So as I said to you, I spoke to them more factually than emotionally, saying that we're gonna work through this and mom is a strong woman. I've been a single mom now for a few years. I think we just took it a day as it came. I would leave early in the mornings at six o'clock to take an Uber to check myself into hospital for surgery. For example, I had a bilateral mastectomy. And as you would know, that would mean physical surgery to remove both the breasts. 
I had immediate recon plastic reconstruction of the breast and my kids were alone at home. I would recover in hospital and have to take an Uber back home, not having a spouse for support. And all those days, when I think back of them today, those were the days that made me grow in stature and strength. Can I just ask, in terms of your family, was anybody around or friends who could have helped? Did you have some support? So I don't know whether it's a positive or a negative when it comes to having an illness, but I have always been a very, very independent somebody. Mm. Always been misindependent. My parents are late now, but even when they were alive, I went through my divorce with my four kids on my own. Never went back to parents' house, not even for a night. And so when I was going through my breast cancer, it was the same thing. It was, you know, uh, pick up the phone, salam's dead. I've just had surgery, you know, trying to minimize everything. And uh, I'll be home in a few days' time, and then you can come and visit me. So I've been always that misindependent somebody. But that does come back at a later stage to haunt you. If I be honest again, about a year ago, it became too much for me. The driving myself monthly to chemotherapy, the trying to be mom and dad to teenagers and young adults, just trying to hold together everything. I just stopped dead in my tracks. I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't continue with my community work. I couldn't do interviews as I'm doing today. I disappeared from social media and I just confined myself into my bedroom. I went down into lockdown as we know it now about a year before the actual coronavirus. I sat in my room looking at that four walls every day trying to muster up this mental strength because it takes mental strength to dig oneself out of this kind of state knowing that I have number one financial responsibilities, knowing that I have emotional responsibilities to my kids. I have a towering figure in my life and she's sitting next to me and I don't want to break into tears. This is my daughter Nabila, whom you yeah. liaise with. She's so lovely. She took over the home. She did the banking. She did the food shopping. She's been cooking seven days a week for the kids and I and she's still continuing to do so. Going back to what you're telling us about, you know, how you kind of went through everything alone. Can I ask where your ex-husband is at the moment? Has he helped with anything at all? So that is the sad part because we had quite an amicable divorce in inverted commas with the thought factor of putting the kids first in inverted commas going on in life. Unfortunately, he's remarried and his new wife, I would think, is feeling a bit threatened. She doesn't allow him time with the kids anymore. So according to our divorce agreement in South African law, he would have access to the kids every second weekend, say from a Friday afternoon to a Sunday afternoon. And in the last couple of years, so coincided with my whole breast cancer diagnosis, actually just stopped seeing the kids. So I've had the kids with me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I can't say I am sad about that because to be facing the reality, I have stage four terminal cancer, right? And stage four is is the end. There is no cure. We're basically buying time, in inverted commas, with treatment. My cancer currently has spread from the primary area, which would be the breast. So it's now spread into the body. Nafisa, as you said, yeah. your mom had spread into her yeah, liver, yeah. right? So mine has now entered my bones. And that would be my skeletal system. So walking for me is difficult. Driving for me had become very difficult and very painful. I'm in morphine every day. But I'm driving again and I'm walking fast again. And that is such, I mean, I'm sure you can hear the happiness in yeah. my voice at the moment. Yeah. You know, it was almost getting myself back on track again, you know. So yeah, my ex-husband hasn't been part of the picture. And my fear... My fear as a mother is that if I am taken away tomorrow or if I'm taken away next week or next month or next year, the kids are still young and is he going to take his role in their life as a father and support them and take them into his home and be there for them like I am there for them now? Oh my God, it's so difficult. It's every mother's biggest fear. And, you know, I'm just so sorry you're going through this and you're having to even ask yourself that question. I mean, have you guys had the conversation? Is he saying that he's going to be there? Yeah, you know, he says very lightly, you know, yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, I'll be there. But 
He's not proving it while I'm still alive, you know. He sees him for coffee every two or three months. That's almost like being an uncle or a friend, you know. Because being a parent doesn't mean only dealing with the good, hello, how are you? It means dealing with a child on their individual basis, on a day-to-day basis with their problems and their worries and their happiness and their studies and their achievements. So it means going through all of that 24 hours with a child, not only spending two hours having a cup of coffee every two months. Nafisa mentioned that you've got a really interesting story to tell about having children. Would you mind sharing that with us? I I absolutely would love to do this. Thank you. My ex-husband and I got married and after a few years, we were still not falling pregnant. So we started infertility treatments and we did five years of full-on infertility treatments. And eventually my infertility specialist said, my dear, your body is not working. We need to close this chapter on in your life. I went home really, really despondent. What I'm going to tell you next is exactly what happened. I went home and I wasn't working And my ex-husband, now ex-husband, went back to work. I sat on my bed and there was no internet at that time. There was no access to what we have accessible to us now. And in South Africa at that time, we had something called a telephone directory. I opened this directory and I looked for C for child. I found something called child welfare. And I phoned the child welfare And I was put into touch with this wonderful woman and I just blurted out my story to her. And she said, please come and see me with your husband. We did so a few days later and we started an adoption program. And so it took a full year of intense scrutiny to be approved in commas again as possible parents. Um, We were put through a rigmarole of testing, psychological assessments, bank scrutinies, home visits to make sure that we were decent, we were able to support a child, we didn't have any bad habits that would affect a child. And one day on a Friday morning, I got a phone call saying, we have your son. And it was one of the Islamic big night, the 27th holy night, and my ex and I drove to the adoption home, and there was Zaid. He was 10 days old, he's now 22. That was how I became a mother, overnight. (laughs) Me being misindependent, told my husband next morning, go to the library and get me books on how to be a mom, make a bottle. (laughs) I don't know how to change a nappy. Came home with six books. I sat that night and I read and I became an overnight Did the books help? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. It was, I mean, books were then like how the internet is now, you know, so accessible information just. And a year later, I felt broody and I told my ex-husband, you know, I would really, really love to have another child. And off we went again, contacted Johannesburg Child Welfare. And a few months later, we were blessed with this most beautiful princess um, who's become my caregiver, who's become almost like a mother to me in the days when I really need her. I'm, I'm not looking at her right now. She's sitting right next to me because if I'm going to look at her, I'm going to burst into tears. How old and is she now? She's going to be 21 oh. in January. It Her makes was... all of these amazing keto bakes for you, isn't it? Absolutely. Oh, mashallah. And life was complete and we were a family of four. And I was happy. And, you know, one day I got really sick. And I took a magazine again, ovarian cancer. Off I went to the gynecologist. Doc, I now have cancer. And with my history, uh, he probably got a bit worried. And he said, let's have a scan and we'll do the relevant testing. And I remember it was a dark room having that gel on my tummy again for the hundredth time, uh, looking up at the ceiling, expecting to be told, okay, you've got fibroids again, you've got endometriosis, you've got cysts. And he looks at me and says, madam, there's a baby growing here. And I said, doctor, you cannot be real. You know, my body doesn't work. And he said, something has gone terribly right this time. And I gave birth to my third child nine months later. And a year later, I conceived again. So that's really my miracle story. 
oh my god that is such an amazing story yeah, but, like i've got tears in my eyes just hearing your stories yeah it's amazing imagine all the adversity you've been through and then at the same time being so gifted it's just amazing you, you mentioned you went through the mastectomy my cancer was diagnosed in my left yeah. breast right there were two tumors and my oncologist and my plastic, plastic surgeon yeah. oncologist advised me for safety reasons to have a, it's, it's called a bilateral. So you have both the breasts removed. Some women would opt not to have reconstruction mm -hmm. again, uh, but I opted to have it done and it was done as one huge, huge yes. surgery, which obviously comes with a lot of bed rest after that, uh, a lot of inconvenience, a lot of not being able to get out of bed. You can't bath, you can't wet your chest. I was hospitalized a few times after my big surgery because infections had set into the breast uh, and into the capsules. So um, I think in the first year of my diagnosis, I had surgery six times. So having surgery six times, not having an infrastructure with the kids, um, leaving the kids all the time to go into hospital and coming home, not being able to cook, I think that has made my kids grow up overnight. Yeah. A lot of people when they go through this and I know my mum also had a mastectomy as well and I, I, I was a child I think I was barely um, 12 maybe 10. She was not open with us she was trying to protect all of us from from this. Okay. I think okay. my adult brothers um, they were aware but myself my younger brother uh, we were uh, unaware. We just knew she was going for major surgery and everybody was praying and people were doing meditation you know and I remember a group of my family sitting around doing meditation and um I remember when she was recovered and accidentally one of her tops opened and I saw the scarring and I realized something was missing. I have this vivid memory of that and, you know, and it was scarred, obviously. And um, she didn't really go for any reconstructive surgery. I don't even know if it was available to her, but she had the, um, I, I don't know the technical term for it, but she had the false breast, that insert that you put into your bra. A lot of women I've heard, especially after a mastectomy, they feel uh, the less of a woman or they feel inadequate somehow. And that causes them to, um, you know, go for reconstructive surgery despite all the risks and the recovery. So uh, what was your reason for going down that route and facing an extra challenge by right. doing so? Right. So in South Africa, we don't have the government NHS as you guys have in, in the UK. So our medical treatments are all privatized and we pay a really large sum of money as individuals to have um, medical insurance. So I think because my medical insurance agreed to pay that exorbitant amount of plastic surgery, it was decided so quickly. You know, at that moment when your cancer is diagnosed, all you want is that cancer out of your body. All you want is to be back to normal at any cost. So your thoughts are racing. You want to be free of the cancer. You want to look as normal as you can. And I think that was the deciding factor about my whole decision. However, almost five years later, if I had to rethink this whole decision again, I would not undertake the reconstructive surgery. There is an element of feeling as if there's something toxic in your body. If I had the opportunity at this moment financially to remove the implants, I would absolutely wow. do so. That's an eye-opener, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think it's kind of connected right now maybe to your um, to the way you're trying to improve your own health from within. Um, I think so, I think so. So can you tell me a little bit about your keto journey? So my keto journey started because I wanted to lose weight. I have hormonal breast cancer. So that would mean in simple terms that my cancer is fed by the hormone estrogen, okay? Estrogen is our absolute female hormone. So estrogen feeds my cancer. I would say I was medically induced into an overnight menopause. The, est the estrogen was cold cut, like, a, like how you would close uh, a tap or a faucet. And with that came enormous, enormous weight gain, combined with 
president feel lifestyle that I had to adopt all of a sudden, having the cancer in my bones, not walking, you know, just sitting in bed or sitting on the sofa, those two factors, the being in a medically induced menopause combined with the sedentary lifestyle, not liking who I saw in the mirror, not having my clothes fit me, put a real damper on my own self-confidence. And I'm a confident person by nature. So that was that period of time where I entered into my self-imposed lockdown. This was a year before Corona. And about a month ago, six weeks ago, actually, I stumbled upon this keto diet group that we all on. I did my research being the analytical person that I was, and I thought to myself, this could help me. When I came and stumbled upon the keto, you know, I thought, okay, I could do this. I could lose the weight. It seems relatively simple. And my son Zaid, my adopted son Zaid, he's, he's going to be 22. He's always been a very big boy. And I've written about him in the group as well. I called Zaidin and I said, my son, um, by the way, he's on the brink of graduating as a professional chef. So I said to him, Zaid, you are going to be embarking on a professional career, inshallah, next year. You're going to be wanting to get married and join mom. Let's do this together. So I'll be your keto buddy and you'll be my keto buddy. So we'll be there as encouragement and motivation for each other. And we started this journey four weeks ago or five weeks ago. And Zaid has lost 15 kilograms, 33 pounds. It's amazing. He was on the scale. He was jumping with joy. And I said, my son, you're going to continue this. And he's also pre-diabetic and insulin resistance. And hopefully we're going to reverse his conditions. My weight loss has been really low. But what I've got out of this keto lifestyle is I've got me back. My kids have their mom back. I am functioning again. I am driving again. I hadn't driven my motor vehicle for over two years. I agreed to do this interview with That's you. That's amazing. I turned down so many interviews that was asked of me during Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which was in October. I'm just a different person. They say that keto starves the toxic cells in the body of sugar and the toxic cells are eaten by the new cells and that would lead to rejuvenation. Well, that's the scientific theory behind being in ketosis. I don't know actually if that's what's happening to me, but I can only say that I feel myself. I feel like I'm back in the sunshine again. I'm enjoying driving and taking my kids out for meals. I'm enjoying liaising once again with my kids. I feel like I'm living again. So that's been a bit of a miracle that's happened in the last few weeks with me. Subhanallah. I mean, just hearing that, oh, it's amazing, mashallah. I mean, you know that we're all on the keto group as well, maybe for different reasons. And But just hearing how amazing it has been for you and how it's working for you and how it's kind of giving you, you know, your life back almost. It's just, you know, it's really, really inspiring. As a mom, you know, I feel if I'm going to die in a few years' time, I need to set my kids up. And this might sound morbid, but I, I want to prepare them now for the future so they can be healthier in their future. It sounds so strange, but when you're facing a terminal illness and you have those sleepless nights, those are the thoughts that run through your mind. Who's going to be here for them to hold their hands through these tough times in life or when they have their own children? Because I know I'm not going to be here. The rate of survival for stage 4 cancer is 22% 2 to 5 years. And if you do the maths, I'm 4.8 months, 4 years, 8 months into my journey. Look, Allah is the one above us all and we don't know for sure, but within medical reasoning, and taking it from a scientific approach, that is my prognosis. Yeah. So, so when you face this terminal illness and being the thinker that I am, I'm trying to get everything ready for when I'm not here. You know, I've left memoirs for my kids, albums with stories, articles of mine that have appeared in the newspaper. I've bought four newspapers so I can get four articles and put them into the frame and date them, love you mom, so that when I'm not here, they have these things of mine for them specifically to touch on and to hold and to and to feel me in this space. If that makes any sense, Lisa, I'm sure you might be able to join the dots. I absolutely do you know. And um, 
sometimes I wish we had that, however hard it might be to look back and listen to that. And, you know, we do see photos of my mum. I've mentioned briefly yesterday during our intro chat, I've harbored some feelings towards my mum, despite the fact that it's irrational and despite the fact that, it, you know, it's not her fault and um, it's Allah's will and all of those things. But I think there's a child in me that, um, the child that my mum left, if you like, and um, it's like it's frozen in time. And it's, you know how you said that you had an out-of-body experience when you were first diagnosed? I can kind of yes. imagine that. And for us as yeah. well, the children who are left behind, um, yes. even though we're adults now and we've got children of our own, we feel like somehow we, we're frozen back in time to the point where our oh. mum left. And it always stays inside of us, this inner child. And every time we hear the word cancer and every time we come across these fears, you know, we go through that experience over and over again. And over the years, I, I did build up some resentment, which I didn't mean to build up and I didn't intend to have it. Mum's death anniversary was in October, just gone. And it's been, I don't know, 25 years. But um, it was only this time that I actually grieved in a way that I actually let myself cry and feel and just feel in love and in happiness for her rather than feel bitter or like, uh, I don't know how to explain it. I don't have the words for it right now, but yeah, it's, it's been difficult. I'm, I'm aware that your daughter's with you. So do, um, feel you don't have to answer this if you feel it's not sensitive. I just wanted to know, how do you feel right now today with the doctors telling you that your days are numbered and we all know that Allah is the one who's going to actually number yes. our days yes. we know that um how do you feel and how do you live with that heartbreak that comes with knowing your children are going to be left behind I know you've mentioned all the mechanics of everything that you've put in place to cope with that you've right. set them up with values you've set them up you've trained them you've made them independent yeah. you've yeah. taught them how to look after themselves and not be reliant on anybody but how how do you cope with that knowledge and with that heartbreak more than anything as a mother and all of us mothers have this fear and we all live with it you know we live with it every time we have a health scare or anything or even people who are still going through it like yourself how do you live with that heartbreak and how do you continue with normality there isn't an answer yeah. for that because i don't and i can't so i think i can only do i can just bind my heart up tight yeah. in my chest and and not go there because if you have to think about it there is no answer for that there is no convincing theoretical scientific answer as to how the soul copes with that knowledge um, so I just bind it up inside of me and try to create a happy moment for that moment to compensate probably for yeah. myself that's really um i don't know that's really hard it's hard to hear because it's it's so it's something that your soul doesn't want to see you know into the future because you see them being there without yeah. you you see the empty space yeah. in the bed because you're looking at your physical house and how your home is structured with you sitting you know on the bed or in the sofa and them and them doing their day around you and then you think what's going to happen on that first day when mom is not i'm not going to be here and i just want to at that moment go and take the pain away for the future if that makes any yeah, sense yeah. at all but that's exactly how it i feel absolutely does yeah but you know um i do get angry at times and i fight with my god and i say to him you know i couldn't have children and you gave me Zayd, and you gave me Nabila, and you gave me Ramiz, and you gave me Mikael. And now why do you want to take me away from these kids? You know? And that has led to some dark moments in my life, to be honest. Um, anger. Anger of having this illness or disease. I don't know how people choose to see it. So one of the things I was going to ask you, what was the impact that this has had on your relationship with our Creator? I mean, many of us, we all assume that any health trials is going to bring someone closer to your faith or to your God, you know, oh, we're going to cross to the next world. So naturally, we're going to get close to God. Um, is that really true for you? What has been your experience when you were going through those dark, dark moments? 
what were you thinking? And the second question that I want to ask in relation to that is, um, how did you come out of that darkness? And where are you right now? Right. So, you know, I have my conversations with God all the time, right? It's almost as if my God is right in front of me. I may not go onto the musalla five times a day. Uh, maybe that would make me more spiritual, but I do have these conversations begging him almost to save me purely for my children, knowing that we come from a single parent home. I would want to live, if you have to ask me today, what would be the primary reason uh, as to why I would want to live? My answer to you would be purely just to be a mom for them, to be that backbone for them, to be that person who they can come home to. On the flip side of the coin, because I've been so, so out there and so honest about my breast cancer journey, I have thousands of people on social media who pray for me, who make dua for me. I will put a post on Facebook to say, I need your duas today. I put a post out on social media to say, Friends, I'm at chemotherapy today and I need your duas. Um, and I get thousands of people messaging me back and commenting on my post to say I'm at the top of their duas, not only on that day, but every single day. I honestly believe that those duas are pulling me through to be here for my kids. That's amazing. I was telling you that yesterday, um, Nadia, that this is a gift yes. on its own. People sometimes don't have people who pray for them and it doesn't have that kind of reach where you can get collective mass right. prayer. And right. you know, there's something to be said for mass prayer. I know in Islam, we also believe that when people make dua for you, um, Allah listens yes. to that. Even if your taqdeer, even if your fate is written, it can change. Right. Prayer can change yes. fate. So we really believe that as well. You know, we all assume we're going to deal with this in faith. You know, we all assume, right. I'm sure everyone who listens to this will say, oh yeah, we've got our faith and that's going to get us through the dark moments. And we hope we can. We hope Allah never tests us anyway to reach those dark moments. But if we ever had to, um, we pray that God gets us through this. I, I once had a little health scare and, um, uh, and it's uh, not related to the breast or anything like that. Okay. But um, when you don't know what it is and it's inside your body right. and you suddenly right. uh, that very first moment when the doctor told me and you know it's exactly the same when you had that shiver down your soul right. that right. fear um and i went through the whole motions you know while you waited for the scan results you know and one thing i i didn't do before which i started to do to cope with it was just you know the the hajjad prayer which is the uh, middle of the night prayer when yes. everyone is asleep the quiet the darkness um the silence I'm um, just right. on a prayer mat. I didn't uh, fully do the whole prayer at that moment. I couldn't even. I was trying to pray and I would break down. I would literally right. break down into prayer and just, you know, that thing you said you were binding your heart. I literally right. unbound that, you know, whatever I was carrying for my mom, whatever I was carrying. So that's how I lived with it. The way you described, you bind that hurt. So I've always bound that hurt for when my mom passed. But um, yeah, so I unbound that and I completely opened myself to that vulnerability, to that dark place that you don't want to go and you just open yourself. And I really, um, I don't know if it was healing for me, but I know that I needed it. I know that I had to do that. I don't know why. I just know that that is the way I had to ask of him. You know, I just had to, I had to, I had no other choice because there was no one else. And I had very young children at that time. And, you know, Alhamdulillah, for whatever reason, Allah's um, contained me and he has, you know, um, not given me that kind of trial that I was scared of. But it's always there, like a shadow in our minds, you know, it's always there. And having this conversation with you so soon, I, I did think I wouldn't do a cancer pod so quickly because I'm not ready to face that. But, you, you know, Allah brought you into our lives, you know, very incidentally at this time. And uh, something about your story just woke me and said to me, we need to listen to you and we need to take your advice on board and we need to make a change all of us, all of us who are listening. So um, if there's one thing that I can ask of you, I know you want to hold on and you want to stay in control and everything, but if there's one thing I would love for you to try and experience, if you can, is to just 
whether you feel connected to it or not, whether it's a physical action or a spiritual one, right. whatever it is, if you just, that pain that you're holding, if you let it go on your own in the quiet of the night, um, on a prayer mat, in sajda, um, whether you're, you're reading the, the Hajjad prayer or not, but if you right. just have that conversation with God in the middle of the night, everything you've ever wanted to say um, and everything you want to happen for you, for your children, if you just pour it out for that one night, I think, I think there will be something. I know, I know I'm feeling it as you're talking. And when I feel that shift in my heart, as you're yeah. saying this, I know I'm going oh to do my it. God. I feel, because, because nobody has ever told me this before. Nobody has told me I have shivers down my spine. You need to surrender your own grief. You need to surrender your own pain and just let go. I've always felt that I need to, to hold it together for them. You know, if you hold it together, this is how I see it. You know, if you look at it the other way, you're the yeah. mother who's leaving her children and I'm the child that you're leaving, right. if that makes sense. Right. So right. As, a, as a child who's grown up, right. As your children, I can speak on right. on their behalf to you. If there's one thing, if you leave with this heartbreak, they will carry it. They will carry it, some part of it. You know, I feel like if my mom had let us in and we had, although we saw her crying, we saw her going through everything. Finally, we understood there was a time where we all knew what was happening to her. We heard the doctors right. tell us, you know, my mom overheard the conversation when the doctor said she barely had three months left. You know, she barely, yeah, if she was lucky. And actually, she just literally passed at the three-month mark. Um, and we heard that conversation. She heard it. She was, you know, devastated. But her grief was her own. And that's fine. You know, that's, that's her way of dealing with it. And my dad, he supported her the best way he could. But for us as children, I just feel like if you opened it up to Allah and just left it to him, you know, this fear you have for your children, just leave it to him. I'm going to do that. I will make yeah, you a promise. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because I feel, I feel it. It's not that I'm taking any, yeah. a verbal instruction yeah. from you. I'm feeling what you're saying and I'm being drawn to do that. Alhamdulillah. That's all I can say is Alhamdulillah. And also, I know uh, Nabila is listening. One of the things... Um, you said to me yesterday was that you told her about my mom's story and what I didn't mention was my mom not only left us behind my sister she had down syndrome and she was only eight years old so my mom's biggest fear was this child so it felt to us like trial after trial you know my mom was diagnosed she had a child who's got down syndrome she's now having to leave this beautiful soul behind who's dependent and then there's you know two other children you know I mean, obviously there's teenagers as well so um, you said that your children were moved to tears when they heard about my mum leaving us the way and all yes. of that. What was it about the story that they felt that they connected? And I was just curious. I think it was probably hearing the flip side, um, hearing it from her perspective in yeah. inverted commas, because she, she yeah. being you and yeah. you being her. Um, and she teared and I saw her, you know, try to regain yeah, composure yeah. again. Um, but she's also felt this connection towards this, this ensuing conversation yeah. between myself and yourself yeah. and the podcast and getting the story out and encouraging other women for screening, which I do want to touch on a bit. Yeah. Um, I, th I think it was just her being in your shoes yeah. uh, and feeling your pain yeah absolutely makes... i felt her pain i was talking to my husband as well and i was just right. thinking about your children and i feel like hugging them you know i feel like grabbing them holding them hugging them and protecting them from all of this because you know it's hard it's hard and what they've been through is phenomenal those children should be awarded for their bravery and for what they've achieved with you and it's just it really touches my heart it really really does my husband one of the things he said to me that made me think he said you know it's only a body that's ill you know it's the body it's the shell that's ill our soul isn't ill our soul needs spiritual enlightenment and it needs to be nourished it's not the body that you're trying to look after really what our focus should be is nourishing the inside and then it will take care of the outside rather than the outside taking care of the inside
Yeah, when he said that, I actually thought, wow, I've not thought about that. He said, connect spiritually, connect however you want and hold on to that rope and then focus on how you're going to look after your inside and then that will resonate to the outside naturally. It will come, you know, and um, that really, really made me think. And I was just thinking that's something we all have to take away as well. You know, uh, sometimes when you're too close to the yeah. picture, for example, I would be too close to my own grief and you would be too close to your own grief to be able to come to those common sense, if you want to call it that, and maybe it needs someone closer to you to say, hey, yeah. this is how I see it. And please see it like this, because in seeing it like this, you will get healing. Yeah. You know what? This has been such an emotional session. I feel like like all of our greatest fears have been just voiced in one session alone. We've got cancer, death, leaving our children behind, you know, going through all of this alone. But I think with Nadia, your story has been really cathartic and therapeutic. And, and so has yours, Nafisa, your, your own story as a child going through this losing their parents to cancer has just been absolutely, I don't even have the words, you know, I'm never short for words, but I'm actually, I find myself speechless here, but I'm hoping, and I know this is going to be really, really helpful to other women who might be going through this. Um, Nadia, what kind of parting advice or words do you have to women who might be struggling with something similar? The most critical piece of advice or information that I would like to impart to every female whatever the age who will listen to this, is to please do not think that you can't get this. Cancer is indiscriminate. One in eight women will get breast cancer. Because of our lifestyle and lifestyle diseases, cancer was thought to be an older woman's disease, maybe two or three or four decades ago. So girls as young as early 20s are getting diagnosed without a genetic predisposition, without showing any symptoms, and early detection equals a better chance at survival. And that has been my mantra since being diagnosed. That has been the one message that I feel as a communicator that I have been given this illness is to pass this message on to women that do your yearly screenings. Yeah. It is so, so critical that if you are the one that has been or is going to be diagnosed with this disease, that you can get early intervention. Yeah. Women are nurturers. We are mothers. We are daughters. We are sisters. We hold. We are at the womb of our family units. And we need to ensure the best of health so that our symbiotic relationships are held intact and by having these screenings and catching the disease earlier on all i can say is please please encourage your sisters encourage your friends just go for the screenings yeah. Lisa, this is this is for you sure. my dear friend uh i feel our meeting has been ordained i do believe in takdeer i believe in faith and i believe in the serendipitous meeting that i need to tell you to please Please have your mammogram. It'll give Absolutely. you peace of mind. Yeah. yeah. Um, what kind of symptoms should women look out for or ask about during the screening? You can be completely, completely asymptomatic, meaning as I was, I didn't have any symptoms. Symptoms to look out for is suspicious pain in your breast. Any pain in your breast would warrant a doctor to palpate, first of all, you know, with his or her hands to look for a lump. Sometimes if you have thick breast tissue, the lump cannot be felt and only a mammogram will pick up the lump. So it's suspicious pain in the breast, number one. Number two, any strange disfigurement of the skin on the breast. For example, if the skin gets puckered or if the skin gets red or if the skin feels hot to the touch, go and see your doctor. Those are the two major symptoms to look out for pain and any strange disfigurement of the breast redness heat or or strange puckering of the skin where the skin looks almost a bit shriveled okay but it's so scary just to know that you had none of these symptoms yeah 
Alhamdulillah, we've covered so much and it's such a deep and meaningful episode. One of the things we wanted to um, let our listeners know about was about your keto page, your business that you're starting, so we can all support it. So if you can give us some information about that. Right. So I will send you the link because I have found such, such healing from being on, on the keto eating program with my son losing that huge amount of weight. I felt that with my therapeutic chef who's sitting next to me, we could start a little home industry business. You know, times are economically tough for everyone coming out of the pandemic. Everyone could actually do, you know, with a little bit of extra money. And inshallah, we've put together a little business plan. I've opened up my social media pages on Instagram and Facebook. Currently doing a lot of marketing with my recipes and getting the word out there, spreading what keto is all about. And um, inshallah to start a little business, preparing ready to go keto meals for people who are just too busy to do it themselves. Um, What we'll do is we'll drop all your links definitely onto our website as well. What's your Instagram page name? The keto one is NN for Nadia Navila. So it's NN, the keto chicks. Okay, excellent. We'll definitely get that all down. You know what, it's just been an absolute honour and privilege to have you here talking to us about such an important topic. So thank you for that. I mean, I feel like I've learned so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And I also want to echo what Tasneem's just said. And also I want to thank your children profusely for their way they've looked after their mother the way they're such a rock to you i just think they're beautiful souls and um and just all our love and all our sincere prayers for you all you know from the bottom of all our hearts thank you so much that is so heartfelt i feel your words i feel the goodwill and i feel the love thank you so much thank you nadia You've been listening to Nafisa and Tasneem. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed our show. Don't forget to subscribe, share and review. Follow us on Insta and Facebook at NotAnotherMumPod as well as on Twitter, mum underscore pod. You can also listen to all our pods on www.notanothermumpod.com as well as on all your favourite podcast platforms. Should we go to bed now? (coughs) Really? I can't cuddle you. I can't fit in your bed. Yes, stay awake forever. Good night, children. Say Allahumma. Allahumma. Bismika. Amutu. Wahia. Allahumma. Bismika. Amutu. Wahia.